0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Hope you enjoyed the President's Day weekend, if you had the day off. And the President's Day, I told you I dedicated a lot of mine to Abe Lincoln, old Abe. I enjoyed that book. So great to be with you, Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. The Pro-America Report is uh, available. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there. You'll get the daily wink. It's an email. gives you all the details you need to know. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. Follow me on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin. I do two periscopes a day, about 15. 15- Minutes each. One is at uh, nine forty-five East Coast time, and the other is at two p.m. East Coast time. So that's early six forty-five in the a.m. on Pacific time, and eleven a.m. on uh, Pacific time. Both of those. All right. Uh, let's get to what you need to know today. What you need to know. Uh, there's a lot we can talk about. A lot of things. I, I will point you to one of my favorite. Um, one of my favorite. Uh, people to tell the truth about James Comey one of the to me one of the most uh, egregious actors in the last few years one of the real swamp dwellers and there's been some exposure some expo- exposure of his emails that is revealing I'll talk about it at the end of the program we'll also talk with David Horowitz David Horowitz about where we exactly are in this battle for the future of the country and also we'll have a very special guest Warren Romstad uh, is an a, a Um, inspirational speaker, a kind of businessman, and we're going to talk about um, what he has written and what he's talked about in terms of where we are in this country and what we can do about things. So we'll talk with him in a few minutes. Uh, His name, again, is uh, Warren, uh, I always mispronounce his last name, I I like to do this, Warren Rustand, Rustand, Uh, we'll talk to him in a minute. All right, what you need to know today... I, there's a lot of things I want to talk about. There's a number of things I want to say. Obviously, the impeachment of the president failed, you know, is the second failed impeachment uh, by Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. It's, you know, getting to be a, you know, there's a certain point where you say about people, they're losers, and you just know they're losers. In this case, Nancy Pelosi and her team, they're just stone cold losers. And, in fact, most of the data looks like uh, Donald Trump's popularity went up after the uh, impeachment both times. Um, So, anyway, be that as it may, it was a waste of time, waste of effort. The only good news out of it was I think more Americans saw the truth about what you and I call, and we've talked about, the narrative machine. Big tech, big media, big government, now the Democrats in charge. But there's lots of big government that's not Democrats. It's the deep state and everybody else. And now we see the narrative machine is hard at work. For example, the New York Times has retracted its uh, its news reporting about the poor Capitol policeman who died. Initially, the reporting was he was hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. Uh, the New York Times has, has uh, retracted that report. Uh, there was a report that one of the so-called insurrectionists came into the Capitol with zip ties in order to take prisoners. It's now been retracted. Turns out that the zip ties were from a Capitol policeman to uh, subdue uh, people and he left them on a table they were picked up by somebody else. By the way don't pick up zip ties if you're in a place you shouldn't be there's a message there but certainly it's as the retractions pile up the exciting news is Nancy Pelosi says she's going to start a January 6 commission to get to the bottom of things. Now The reason she's doing that, of course, is because she's going to use the narrative machine, big tech, big media, and government to tell the story. The problem is she's finding that when you set these things up, you get a thread puller, threads pulled, and you start to see it unravel. So within a few minutes of that announcement, there was a letter that came from Congressman Jim Jordan and Congressman Devin Nunes and one or two others, I can't remember who, on committees, who said, okay, you want to have a commission? Let's get to the bottom. Here's some questions, Nancy Pelosi. The then police chief wanted more support. You didn't respond. Why didn't you listen to intelligence reports that you cite that said that there was a, a, a more of people that were coming, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So we'll see about this. I mean, I think it's all, uh, all going to be um, meant to be narrative machine, meant to be feeding the beast. The narrative machine beast all needs to be fed. Remember, both the business model, the business model for all three entities, big tech, big media, and big government, Rely on getting people agitated. Now, big government, the Democrats, want to get people agitated in their direction, so they vote for them. They want more government, more power. Big media just wants images. They want images. Oh, let's play some images. Let's get people hysterical. Let's get people blah, blah, blah. Both sides, big uh, Fox News as well as CNN. And, of course, big tech wants more agitation, more clicks, more dopamine hits, and more money. That's all that's happening. However, I want to pause right now and tell you what you need to know. Notwithstanding all these concerns, what you need to know now is we are in very grave danger in this country because as a nation, we are putting our children at risk by not opening our schools. I, I am willing to give people the benefit of the doubt that at the start of this pandemic, there was uncertainty, confusion, fog of war, whatever. But at this point, almost a year into this, we now know that students must be in school. At this point, if it was keep the students out of school for a month and everything will be better, fine. It's not true anymore. And our students are being destroyed. And it's not just child abuse, although it is that. It's not just national child abuse, although it is that. It's actually a national security concern. If you take, uh, let's just pretend, let's say there's 12 grades, and let's say that there's 5 million kids in every grade. You're talking about 60 million kids in schools that are being kept out of school now. That's, I think that's about right, actually. But whatever it is, it's tens of millions of kids, and they're being malformed now in chunks of 5 million. 5 million first graders, that's going to affect us for the next 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. 5 million 12th graders, that's going to affect us the next 40 years, 50 years. So you get my point. We are, we are in a serious national security crisis, and here's what I want to tell you. It's time for everyone to unite Against the enemy of we the people when it comes to our children, and that is the school teachers' unions that have dragged their feet and changed their, uh, their minds and invoked science, must follow science, must not follow that science, must do this, must need more money, must, 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 must. Our children are being sacrificed. And the way to unite against the teachers unions is to simply come about any kind of plan that gives the power over where students go to their parents, to their guardians, or to themselves. I'm talking about radical choice for students. So in St. Louis City, for example, I, I said this earlier on my Periscope at Eagle Ed Martin. I said, I believe that the, uh, every student in St. Louis City public schools costs about $18,000. That's how much money the school system gets per pupil. But let's say that number is 15000 in order to soften this blow i'm willing to let 20 percent i am this is my idea 20 percent of the money stay in that public school so if you live in the public school 20 percent of what that number is you get to keep the public school does anyway but so that's that's, that's uh that, that's three thousand dollars but the student and his parents gets 12 grand and that twelve grand can be used for a school year. The student can homeschool, go to Catholic school, go to Pro- Protestant school, go to Jewish day school, go to uh, uh, a Baha'i school, go to a agnostic school, go to, I don't care, anywhere else, but what's happening now. And here's the biggest reason why. What you have to know about children and education is that you're teaching them to pay attention to something... You know, whether it's a lesson, a math, reading, you're teaching them to pay attention to things that are important for their lives to get better. And you're primarily doing it by paying attention to them. That's the lesson of education. It's, it's, that's the, the, the reality that of education. We must have the center of our attention be the student, not the school system, not the school board, not the teacher's union, the student. And insofar as we're off balance on that, the reality is... We are making a terrible mistake. And in this case, we're making a terrible mistake that will have impact for generations going forward. And it has to stop. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we will have a united front in this effort against this problem. I think it would be very wise. I think it would be very smart. I think it would be very decent. And we should do it. So I'm saying, let free the children free the children and the only way you can't do it now with negotiation. some children are going to get sentenced to a worse life because the school teachers union is more powerful in Chicago than it is in Biloxi some people are going to get sentenced to a worse life because the teachers union is weaker in Phoenix than it is in Philadelphia let the children go free let the choice go to the students and their parents please if not for the kids good which is what you should care about for the good of the country we're in trouble otherwise All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with David Horowitz, Warren Rustand, and a lot more. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com and find out more. Be right back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here, the Pro-America Report. It's time to check in with our old friend David Horowitz. David Horowitz, of course, is a best-selling author of many, many books, including uh, Radical Sun. A Generational Odyssey. That's one I like, actually. Uh, and uh, he's got books coming out. We'll talk about his book. that's coming out in just a few months. First of all, David Horowitz, you're watching what you've talked about for, I don't know, uh, 50 years. Uh, these people are just radical, and they're bent on destroying people and institutions. I guess y- you must have some satisfaction being correct. But, I mean, are, 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 at, this, no. at this point, are you... No. Uh... <laughs> Go, ahead.
2: <laughs> Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm... I never thought it would get this bad and not this fast either. These are all communists. People, you know, you know my, my complaint is conservatives are way too polite. And they, <clears throat> yeah. they don't really want to recognize how bad things are. The, the Democrat Party is a party of liars and crooks and communists. And I I wish I could say something else for the sake of my country and my grandchildren, Um, but I can't. Uh, This impeachment was the most disgraceful thing I think I've ever witnessed. Every time they open their mouths, they lie. The idea that, Trump gave a speech in which he he told his followers that they had to stiffen weak Republicans. Well, that's why we lost the election or that's why the fraud was uh, able to take place. It's I I think it's five out of the six battleground states, both chambers of the state legislatures are controlled by Republicans, but they didn't have the guts to stand up or they didn't like Trump personally uh, to stand up to the Democrats and, and see that the, you know, the, the process was fair, which it wasn't. If it hadn't been for Republicans, uh, you know, Republicans had stood up. Trump would have won. Uh, and that's, despite the fraud, even. So, uh, so here Trump gives a speech and says, I want you to go peacefully and patriotically try to stiffen the spines of the weak Republicans so that they can, you know, will not certify illegally uh, elected electors. And uh, second, if that fails, then we have to go home and prepare to primary them in the 2022 elections. You couldn't have a more Democrat uh, (laughs) law-abiding speech than that, uh, given that the election was stolen. Uh, But the Democrats called that inciting insurrection. And they, it's really hard to imagine that they actually did this, but they did. Uh, They said it was inciting insurrection. And as evidence, they had all these speeches of Trump's questioning the election results. So in other words, it's treasonous and insurrectionary and deserving to be banished from the political uh, order for life to question an election result. Except that Jamie Raskin, who led this impeachment process and comes from a family of America-hating leftists and is one himself. Four years ago, he was in the well of the House protesting the election of Trump. And demanding right. the decertification of the electors, so that these people's mendacity and hypocrisy knows no bounds. You know these uh, the, the demonstrators in the Capitol, and you know it was a mini riot. But it was, can you believe my, um, what's the name of the CNN guy? God, I mean, it was like uh, Anderson, oh, Cooper?
0: A- a- Anderson yeah, Cooper. Anderson or, Cooper. Uh,
2: he compared it right. to the Rwandan genocide. Every person killed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in that capital was a Trump supporter, <laughs> including the woman right. who was murdered by the Capitol policeman, or at least manslaughtered, who got away with it, no consequences. <laughs> um, in, we're talking in, with David. In, um, no, I'm, I'm yeah, like what we're talking with- tell, almost speechless. And what's right. happened, talk- America better wake up. I mean, the good news is that 75% of Republicans are solidly behind Trump, uh, who's the only Republican oh. who was who, a real Fight. leader. Oh, well, no, we
0: have a new crop right. coming up and Getz and right. Hawley. Uh, right. Uh, there's, there's but uh, so we're talking, others, with da- yeah. we're, talk- we're talking with David Horowitz. David Horowitz, by the way, the new book that's coming out in about a month and a half uh, is called The Enemy Within, How a Totalitarian Movement is Destroying America. David Horowitz, front- front com. He's got a piece up over there I was just looking at today that uh, uh, I think the uh, the title is the. Na- it's, it's from about 10 days ago, the biggest and nastiest White House liar ever about Biden. But, David, I want to ask you this question in the time we have left. Um, to He's me, totally I've described retired. it as the... I know, I know.
2: She's <laughs> now taking the calls of heads of state. She's already president
0: yeah but david i want to ask you about what we're seeing i call it the narrative machine and by that i mean that the big tech who is wants you hooked on on clicks and dopamine uh uh, pops and big media the fake news including fox which wants to just make everybody crazy so they come back and now big government the three of them big government big tech and big media the fake news has the ability the narrative machine to tell america what the truth is and my point here is you experience of seeing the communists and recognizing this fight they love to rewrite history but we've never had a machine as powerful as what we're faced with Maybe to try to redefine reality
2: there's classical
0: fascism when the corporate
2: structure supports an extremist political party that wants to shut down all opposition that's what we're in the midst of right now and the 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 proper comparison of the uh, capital uh, mini-riot, is what I call it, um, and, the, and the Democrat response is the Reichstag fire. In 1934, Hitler was elected chancellor in the Weimar Republic, which was a democracy. And shortly after that, the Nazis came up with this plan. They Burned the Reichstag, which is the capital, of the German capital. Blamed it on the Dutch communists. Passed, you know, the Reichstag Fire Act, which set the right. legal framework for the Third Reich, and proceeded to persecute and jail anybody who opposed them. And you can see that's what the Democrats want to do. They want re- to remove Josh Hawley and. Uh, um, take from this, from the Senate for questioning an election. I mean, yeah, again, I'm getting almost speechless that this has happened so fast. I've got a single Democrat with the integrity to oppose this. That's what really gets me. Not to mention all the Republicans who are, you know, even to sign on to the new movement. But I think we have well, a good chance. I, I think the American people are, are. so many people who've been brought into politics by this.
0: Um, you know, are patriots. Uh, right. Do you think, are, uh, Dave, D- David? Do you do you think that uh, Donald Trump, as he reemerges now after he got through the second fake impeachment, should he run for president next time? Absolutely.
2: But I mean, there's always. What's wrong with Republicans? They always think. If they behave the way Democrats want them to behave, <laughs> the Democrats will stop hating them and will, you know, go back to a, a compromise and working together. The Democrats are, uh, you know, they're off the charts liars. They lie about everything. Joe Biden ran, I mean, a fraud was in his campaign. He ran, I am a liar. I want, want to represent all Americans, those who voted and those who didn't, uh, and it turns out to be uh, as radical as they come. Forty executive orders, which he said only dictators years but he was running against Trump. Forty executive orders on the first week, so nobody could really, you know, look at the atrocities it was to me. All of them, a stick in the eye of every Trump voter. This man is the worst human being. You know, he's he's, he's an outsider's case, so. But he, you know, his whole political career was nasty, racist, uh, and uh,
0: despicable, corrupt. Right. So. Yep. It's uh. Well, I think it's going to be uh, interesting. All right, D- uh, David Horwitz last question. Um, your prediction? Does Joe Biden? Does he last this year? Next year? Or is he gonna? Are they going to replace him sooner than, think than even people? I,
2: I meant that. I think he's gone. They have a video of him. a uh, video clip of him sitting paralyzed next to his wife, unable to speak. Uh, the fact that Kamala Harris is saying which she talked France how difficult is that as a job
0: yeah, yeah, it's true all right, David Horowitz as always good to get an update from you and again uh, Hor- at horowitz 39 front page mag and I'll make sure the new book is out in about five weeks, six weeks, the enemy within how a totalitarian movement is destroying America as always, thanks David. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, in the last couple days, we've been talking about my friend John Cribb, the author who wrote the book Old Abe, a historical novel, novel about Abe Lincoln. And I, my next guest, I've been looking forward to talking to him because I got an email from someone, I can't remember who now, a few, uh, maybe three days ago, saying you should talk to this guy. He writes about, especially about humility. His name is Warren Rustand. And you go to warrenrustand.com, you'll see his lengthy career. He's a writer and author a number of books. He's a corporate leader, and this the observation that he says is the greatest, Here's a quote: "Greatest gift we receive from helping others is humility." And his observation is that it's the most important quality of outstanding leaders. So, putting you on the spot, Warren, welcome to the program. Um, no doubt about it, Lincoln was perceived, and in many ways, it was because he was um, he sort of struggled to get into power. He was perceived as pretty darn humble and humility. So, my question is, this, and I had humility. Is it about being humble or is it about being able to convey a sense of uh, deference that might look like humility, if you get my point on the difference?
1: Well, I think there is a subtle difference. I think both are really important, Ed. Um, I think clearly we have to give deference to others, respect to others, and we can do that through a more humble approach. There's no question about that. And so conveying humility is really important. If, however, that conveying of humility is simply covering up a super ego that's highly charged, I'm not sure that we necessarily convey what it is that's necessary. I think humility is, we look at Abe Lincoln's a great example, having a team of adversaries, right, uh, people around him who yeah. represent different viewpoints. Being able to be trained and educated in those viewpoints was really important. But as we look at more contemporary leaders, you know, Dwight Eisenhower, who led the Allied invasion, humble guy. Harry Truman, considered one of our greatest presidents, humble guy. Ronald Reagan, would, many would argue, uh, portrayed that humility as well. So I think it's something we like in others, and I think it's something we feel comfortable with in others.
0: Hey, we're talking again, we're talking with Warren Rustan. You go to com, his website. I'll put it up on social media. You'll see all the different things that he's done uh, and doing. And um, so back to this question of humility, um, a different way to, I wonder about saying it this way. I've heard people say that when you are able to understand that your ego can be an impediment you know and instead think of it as a tool you put it aside you 're able to take risks and I was actually telling my daughter we were talking she 's sixteen and I was saying you know you have to do things that put you in a position where you might embarrass yourself to get used to it because if you 're going to succeed you 're going to have to take risks so I guess what I 'm asking is the, the some of the greatest successes uh, men and women didn't mind failing or even being put in the spot where they could fail and is that a part of chez Merlis
1: well, I think it is. I think most of us, if not all of us, have failures. I've had them personally and professionally. We all have them. And failures are just, it's a, it's a teaching moment. It's a learning point. It's a speed bump in our otherwise successful efforts. And I think we have to be willing to learn. It's not just, you know, thinking, oh, that was an interesting experience. It's this notion of really deeply thinking about those failures or those moments when we weren't as good as we want to be. And we learn from that and we apply that in the future. I think that if you think back to 1908, there was a book that was written called Servant by Robert Green. And it was the first real discussion of servant leadership, this notion of our ability to subordinate our ego and our interests to the benefit of others and to the interests of others. If we can keep that in Mm -hmm. mind, our willingness to subordinate when it's appropriate, when it's desirable, I think will help us with our egos overall.
0: Again, we're we're talking uh, with the author and the motivational speaker and the uh, uh, corporate advisor, Warren Rustan. Again, warrenrustan.com. That's R-U-S-T-A-N-D. And I'll put it on my social media. Um, How how about um, this, though, uh, Warren? In a world where everything is accessible to me i don 't have to go ask my dad, which I used to do. Um, i don't understand this, Dad. can you explain it? I just look on my phone, which has more access to information than ever i don 't even have to go see my pastor to get some tips on the scripture. I could just do a search for you know whatever the term and my point is then and then, because of the the, the technology everyone is can get to me easily in a good way as well as a bad way you know my family can reach me my friends can call me my uh, buddies can text me and marketers and pornographers and and everybody else can reach me too with it it makes it awfully hard to ever think that you're not the center of the universe because you're the center of the universe
1: Well, I think that's probably right. And social media and the proliferation of technology has certainly expanded that world, hasn't it? But in the end, isn't it really about who we know who we are? Isn't it really about we peel the onion back far enough that we understand who we are at our core? It's about our core beliefs and values and how we project that. And I think almost all of us would agree that we love being around people who understand themselves and who are humble. Right. As opposed yeah. to those who yeah. are who are exploding with ego, telling us how good they are, dominating every conversation, you know, promoting themselves, which is what social media does also. Right. It, do, it allows us, you and me, to promote our books. Right. To promote our speeches, mm-hmm. to promote our ideas. There's both good and bad to that. If we do that right. from the viewpoint that we want to help others. And I believe that's what you're doing with your show. Right. Your podcast. You are helping other people understand important issues i'm writing a book because i believe these principles help us grow and develop as human beings and they can change our lives and i think when we do it from that perspective of helping others i think we're always better
0: And anyway, again we're talking with warren rustand at uh, warren uh and uh, uh again i'll put his uh, stuff up on my social media uh, at eagle ed martin and ed martin live and other places um it does get harder though I, well, no. Everybody thinks it's harder, but I, I do think the technology makes it harder. It, it makes it um, less likely when young. And I'm I'm only now thinking of myself. I'm 50 years old. My children are 16 and younger, and watching them, they, they're they're um, teaching them to be in relation to other people when so many things isolate them. And even when we, you know, we work really hard at it, we the kids don't have any social media at all, but they still have some access to internet and things. It's uh, it's a real challenge. How do you use it as a tool, Warren? How do you turn it around? As you know, um, my wife is a physician. She just said the other day, so many times she's resisted technology and she's just started thinking about it. No, it's a, it's value neutral. How can I use it for good, right? The different tools. How do we use all this connectivity that isolates us as a good thing to try to, you know, grow relationships?
1: Well, I think it's a great teaching moment for us as leaders in our family because I see us as co CEOs of our family with my partner of 56 years. We have seven children, 19 <laughs> grandchildren. Wow. We all we all live together on the same farm in Tucson, Arizona. So we have three generations together, and we think about this a lot. We think that it, technology is also a great blessing. It's a great tool when used correctly. So let's use it for its strengths and assets. Let's recognize it for its liabilities, and then let's manage it with our children and grandchildren children in a way that promotes them and helps them learn and grow, but doesn't destroy them in, in, in the bullying, in the pornography, and the other junk that's on there. Let's be sure we manage that in a way that it becomes a tool for good. And I think it has, you know, the technology is neutral. It can be used for good or bad. We are the ones who decide whether it's good or bad and how we use that. And so let's teach those lessons
0: uh I, I I think you're right, I think the um you know one of the things that the challenges of this moment is um and again we 're talking with uh, Warren Rustan, especially about the question of humility and how how important it is and how common he finds it in successful leaders uh The challenge is kind of in this moment taking what is the truth you know and they're 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 permanent and everlasting and and then uh selling them in the modern moment, you know I mean Norman Vincent peeled did it one way sixty years ago uh, Warren Rustan does it another way now that that to me is the the challenge and uh, how do you uh, one last question how do you respond to uh, what I would say is the cult of personality now my father blames J- John F. Kennedy my father says Kennedy was the first politician that ruined it because everybody started to think not about what they were saying but how they looked because he was such a, a charismatic character like a cinema but now we have this cult of personality uh, uh, for our biggest political leaders and none of them give you the feeling that they're particularly humble
1: Yeah, I think that's true, and I think part of that is just the media, and part of it's just the social media as well. I think that what we have to do individually is try to discern that truth for ourselves, use multiple sources of information, compare those information, that sources of information against each other, try to find sources of information that we believe are credible and reliable, try to drill down with individuals, with people, to find out who they are at their core, right? So Stephen Covey in his his book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, talked about three Moments of truth. The first is when you yeah. know what your core beliefs and values are. The second is when you commit to those core beliefs and values. And the third is when you live those core beliefs and values. So I think how people <clears throat> live sends us strong signals about who they are.
0: Yeah. All right. Warren Rustand, thank you. Very interesting topic. I especially was pleased. I've had uh, this great uh, uh, author, John Cribb, wrote old Abe on talking about Abe Lincoln. And I thought it's a perfect time to follow up with you on the question of humility and what you see in leaderships. Warren Rustand is over at WarrenRustand.com. And uh, thanks, Warren. Appreciate it very much.
1: Ed, thank you. Yes. Great questions. Good luck to you and your listeners. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks very much, Warren. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. When we come back. Don't forget, you can go to proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com, and uh, hear all these interviews. Uh, I post them all over there, standalone segments, so people can get to them. And uh, so, proamericareport.com. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report, back in a moment.
1: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. It might surprise you to learn that health
0: care has not always been offered by American employers. Prior to World War II, families had the freedom to make health care decisions for themselves without any interference from their employer. However, when the war broke out, President Roosevelt thought that capping wages would stop inflation from creeping into the wartime economy. Like most other times the government tries to put a chokehold on free enterprise, businesses found a loophole. While they could not attract potential employees with high wages, they could offer free health care coverage as an added benefit. Soon, countless employers started offering company health plans to compete. By the time the war ended and the wage caps expired, employer control of health care was too deeply rooted in our culture to remove. Under current tax guidelines, employers can deduct 100% of health care dollars spent on employees. Meanwhile, individual families do not have the same luxury. The only way families can get a tax deduction for health insurance is if their health care costs account for more than 7.5% of their total gross income. For most families, this is an unattainably high number. The numbers were even more grim under Obamacare, but the Trump tax cuts dropped it from 10% to the current 7.5%. Either way, families like yours and mine are placed at a substantial disadvantage in the healthcare market compared to corporations. Phyllis Schlafly-Eagles has long held the position that we support putting control of healthcare spending in the hands of individuals by making health insurance tax-deductible for all persons, not just for employers. There are two very good reasons why we believe so strongly in this issue. First, employers never would have gotten into healthcare if it weren't for FDR's socialist meddling. Second, employer control of healthcare traps employees in jobs they might not want. Why should anyone feel forced to stay with an employer just because that's where the healthcare coverage comes from? America's workers should have the freedom to move up the corporate ladder without having to leave their medical coverage behind. Let's get freedom back into health care by letting American families deduct all health insurance premiums.
1: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What can we expect when the failed socialized health care experiment is repealed and replaced? Lower premiums and deductibles, competition, health savings accounts, more choice, and more coverage for all taxpayers. Tell us what you want at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
0: Welcome back, Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Don't forget, you can go over to ProAmericaReport.com and get all these interviews over there. We post them as standalone and uh, track them down there. When you visit ProAmericaReport.com, you also can sign up for the daily email, the wink, what you need to know, and uh, all, all, a lot of these, a lot of the stories, excuse me, a lot of the interviews will be included in the daily email. Also, over on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, I do two periscopes a day. Periscope is ending. I don't know whether I'll be doing it on Twitter as a new service or if I'll be shifting over. I've been investigating that, so. But that's uh, that's, uh, twice a day, excuse me, at Eagle Ed Martin. You can track that down. Okay. I want to wrap up with a story here about one of the people. You know, one of the frustrations I have, and I think many Americans do too, is that it feels like some of the bad guys, a lot of the bad guys, get away with stuff. And the good guys... um, get caught right so you get a good guy like um uh flynn and general flynn gets you know put through lawfare as we call it like like nobody's business right i mean just incredible intense um uh you know a a kind of uh political persecution as someone said the the process is um you know the process is the punishment um that's the way that uh people have said it and so um In this case, and a couple of the people that really gall me um, to see this are, of course, uh, Susan Rice. Susan Rice, who was both the Benghazi, um, you know, the the one who told the biggest untruths about Benghazi. She went on all the Sunday shows and said the Benghazi was caused by a video when, of course, she knew it wasn't. Um, but, um, But the second, one of the other ones is Comey. You know, uh, uh, Jim Comey has this incredible, uh, to me, this incredible uh, sanctimonious attitude. He he is like. Um he is like one of the people that he, he seems to be sort of lecturing everyone and looking down on everyone. And it's 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 pretty infuriating to me. And one of the things that I was watching and we've got this new um, story that came out uh, on Comey and and it, it basically is email exchanges. I love that the these come out after the election. But if you go to Jonathan Turley's Twitter feed, um, you'll see Jonathan Turley, who's a lawyer, who's, you know, he's he is more likely to be supportive of Trump than not. So he's being widely uh, attacked by people. But Jonathan Turley writes on his blog, which is JonathanTurley.com. And he's a very bright guy. He's a professor at George Washington University School of Law. And he says that there's a new um, Comey email uh, and the email is raises new questions about his use and defense of the steel dossier. And so what he basically shows in this uh, post is that new recently uh, uh, released documents show that Comey signed a statement to the FISA court saying that the um that the the steel dossier was fine. You know it was real. But on the same day he did that, he sent a message to Clapper. Uh, who was the head of the D- director of national intelligence, which is another agency. And he said, quote, we're not able to sufficiently co- corroborate the reporting. So he basically, he's either lying to Clapper, which is, I guess, interesting enough, where lying amongst uh, agency heads would be bad, or he's lying to the FISA court, which seems like it's true because later there's been some evidence that the FBI, you know, shouldn't have done the certifications and things. My point here is Jim Comey, Has a, I think he got a $7 million book deal. He, Jim Comey teaches ethics at the William and Mary School of Law. Where's the shame? You know, Susan Rice, after she lied about Benghazi, after she was caught sending an email to herself on the last day of work on, in, in 2017, January of the Obama administration, where she said, We did everything by the book, when it shows in the record that she and, and others were targeting unmasking Americans in the national security briefings and targeting General Flynn. But she was to cover, sent an email to herself, We did everything by the book. So she, and then instead of uh, going away in shame, You know, going away in shame and and quietly living out your life. Not only is she prominent, she's now prominent in in the years intervening on TV and everywhere else. No one's embarrassed. No one's embarrassed that she's a multiple, uh, you know, multiple lied multiple times, got shown uh, to be targeting people. Nobody's embarrassed. They put her on TV. Now she's the the head of the domestic policy council. She's basically the prime minister running America for uh, for dopey Joe Biden. And the same thing with Comey. Jonathan Turley has shown definitively that he he was either lying to the FISA court or lying to James Clapper or probably lying to both. And there's no accountability. So you and I, if we forget to pay our taxes, if we make a mistake, we'll be held accountable. We'll be held accountable if you're if you're uh, General Flynn, you'll be held accountable. Anybody else, you'll be held accountable. We're gonna hold everybody accountable that went into the Capitol, whether they wandered in because the door was open and the and the security waved them in or not. We don't care. We're, we're going to go all the way, in and we're going to hold everybody accountable. But Comey? No, not so much. It's, it's really galling. And the question is only whether it'll ever change. Because why, why would you side with truth, honor, and the law when you look up and see Comey rewarded with millions, uh, Susan Rice rewarded with a better job? The system is set up to reward evildoers, bad actors. It's terrible. It's a terrible, terrible way to operate. All right, that's just my rant for today. We'll, uh, we will we uh, will wrap, wrap things up. I want to say thank you to Noah. As always, our technical director, Joanna, for booking our guests. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Back tomorrow. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.